0: Hello and thank you for joining just a guy and his journey back to God. Today I'm going to do things a little bit differently. I'm going to re- go ahead and read the scripture first and it's going to actually be uh, two chapters. It's going to be 15 and 16. It's a prophecy against Moab. and if we go back and we think about Moab, and what we've read in the past, uh, Moab is one of the tormentors uh, against Israel and uh, the Israelites. So it's now a prophecy against them and what's going to happen to them. We know that those don't usually go well for, for the, uh, the offending parties here. So again, it's, it's the, the difference between the covenant of the law and the covenant of grace. And that's why I want to read first and then just talk about um, the difference, and talk about grace. So, starting in uh, chapter 15, verse 1, a prophecy against Moab, an oracle concerning Moab. R in, in Moab is ruined, destroyed in a night. Kur in Moab is ruined, destroyed in a night. Dibon goes up to its temple, to its high places to weep. Moab wails over Nebo and Medeba. Every head is shaved and every beard cut off. In the streets they wear sackcloth, on the roofs and in public squares they w- they all wail, prostrated with weeping. Heshbon and Eliah cry out. Their voices are heard all the way to Jahaz. Therefore the armed men of Moab cry out, and their hearts are faint. My heart cries out over Moab, her fugitives. So here it is. The Moabites are experiencing great loss and, and distress, and yet God does mourn over what is happening, what they have brought upon themselves. My heart cries out over Moab. Her fugitives flee as far as Zoar, as far as elgath shiliah They go up the way of, of Luthith, weeping as they go. On the road to Horeme, they lament their destruction. The waters of Nimron are dried up and the grass is withered. The vegetation is gone and nothing green is left. So the wealth they have acquired and stored up, they carry away over the ravine in, of the poplars. Remember that. They've taken all that they had, where, where they have stored up their great wealth, and what they rely upon, they're taking with them. Their outcry echoes along the border of Moab. Their wailing reaches as far as Eglim, their lamentation as far as beer Dimon's waters are full of blood, but I will bring still more upon Demon, a lion upon the fugitives of Moab and upon those who remain in the land. Chapter sixteen, verse one: Send lambs as tribute to the le- to the ruler of the land from Sela across the desert, in the mount of the daughter of Zion. Like fluttering birds pushed from the nest, so are the women of Moab, at the fords of the Arnon. Give up counts give us counsel, render a decision, make your shadow like night at high noon. Hide the fugitives, do not betray the refugees. Let the Moabite fugitives stay with you. Be their shelter from the destroyer. The oppressed will come this is what they're saying to the ruler of Sela, which is near um, Mount near Zion. The oppressor will come to an end. And destruction will cease. The aggressor will vanish from the land. In love, in love a throne will be established. In faithfulness a man will sit on it. One from the house of David. One in judge, judging seeks justice. One who in judging seeks justice and spreads the cause of righteousness. We have heard of, Moabite's, of Moab's pride, her overweening pride and conceit. Her pride and her insolence. But her boasts are empty. Therefore the Moabites wail, they wail together for Moab, lament and grieve for the men of ker Harash. The fields of, of Heshborn wither, the vines of Shema also. The rulers of the nations have trampled down the Choices' vines, which once reached Jazer Je- and spread toward the desert. Their shoots spread out and went as far as the sea. So I weep as Jazer weeps. So for the vines of Shiban, O Shimon, O Lelia, I drench with your tears. I drench with tears. The shouts of joy over your ripened fruit and over your harvest has been stilled. Joy and gladness are taken away from the orchards. No one sings or shouts in the vineyards. No one treads out wine at the pressers. For I have put an end to the shouting. My heart laments for Moab like a harp. My inner being for Keresh. When Moab appears at her high place, she only wears herself out when she goes to her shrine to pray, it is to no avail. So you know God is is compassionate, he feels bad for these folks, but again they brought it upon themselves. It was the, the era and the covenant of the law. This is the word the Lord has already spoken concerning Moab, but now the Lord says, within three years, as a servant bound by contract would count them. Moab's splendor and all her many people will be despised, and her survivors will be very few and, fa- and feeble. So when you think about it, Moab had all the riches. They had vines, you know, vineyards, and uh, they were a strong nation with warriors and whatnot. And despite taking all their worldly wealth with them when they left their, their country, they still, after a very short period of time, that wealth ran out and they became despised. And that's really when you look at this and you look at the covenant of the law and the covenant of versus the covenant of grace, which is what we live under now. It really is a stark difference between the relationship God has with us versus the relationship he had with the people, you know, in the past. And I've said it before. I am so glad I live under grace and I don't live under the law. I am so fallible that uh, every day, every moment I need grace. It's, if I had to keep the law perfectly, we all know that none of us could do it. So I just, I'm thinking about that. And the reason I wanted to talk about it is just to show a stark example or contrast, I'm sorry, between grace and the law. Because I've started reading a book, a friend of mine quite a while ago gave me this book and she and I were talking about about grace and relationships we've had and when we've harmed others in our relationships and the need for grace, either by us to offer it or us needing it. And so she sent, she sent this book to me, and I didn't read it. Um, it was very kind of her, but I didn't read it. And then with the Sunday... Uh, focus, I started thinking about why am I wanting to look at others, as see others as God sees them. And, it, and I thought, oh, so I can do God's will better so that I'm nicer to people. But the reality is I need to show them grace. I need to be an example of God's love. And I can't do that. I've told you before. I'm a cr- fairly critical person. I notice laws I noticed issues and I'm really good at pointing them out and I'm really good at seeing them and so I'm not the most grace-filled human being and that's why I need to see people as God sees them because I also need to see myself as he sees me and I need to see him see myself as others see me and understand that if God can love me despite all of my my you know fail, failings then, and forgives me, then I I need to do the same. So I picked up the book. She and I um, were texting the other day. And I picked up the book and I started reading it. And the title is, What's So Amazing About Grace? And it's incredibly impactful, just in the first couple of chapters. And the author is awesome. It's Philip Yancey. And he, instead of dissecting grace and getting into all the, um, all of the academic elements and really you know all of the origins of the word and everything else, he just tells stories and he tells stories about grace. At least that's what he's done in the first couple of chapters. And one of the stories that he said that he talks about, and it's a very short one, and I'm going to read you a few things from it because they because they're um, very impactful. So one is a story about David Siemens, uh, how he, he was a counselor, and how he summed up his career. It says, many years ago, I was, and this is David speaking, I was driven to the conclusion that the two major causes of most emotional problems among evangelical Christians are these. The failure, failure to understand, receive, and live out God's unconditional grace and forgiveness. And the failure to give out that unconditional love, forgiveness, forgiveness. And grace to other people. We read, we hear, we believe a good theology of grace, but that's not the way we live. The good news of the gospel of grace has not penetrated the level of our emotions, and that's often true. I think about the people who don't forgive themselves. God has already forgiven them. He they've asked for forgiveness, and He has forgiven them for whatever it was that they that they did, or they believe they did. And yet, daily, they beat themselves up. I know I continuously think about things when, as far back as when I was a child that I did. And I've asked for forgiveness. I've asked for forgiveness from the person who, of course, offered, you know, agreed to it and gave me forgiveness. And I've asked for forgiveness from God. Yet, I still think about it on a regular basis. So it's that living and that receiving of, the, of grace yourself is so critical. Furthermore, in the same chapter of the book, it says, The world can do almost anything as well as or better than the church, says Gordon MacDonald. You need not be a Christian to build houses, feed the hungry, or heal the sick. There is only one thing the world cannot do. It cannot offer grace. This is the single most important contribution of the church. Where else can the world go? To find grace. So, I mean, that's just so impactful to me. And it's one of those situations where um, it's, it's just, where else can the world go but to the church to find grace? And as a result, we are the church. We are the body. It is incumbent on us to offer that grace. And again... That brings me back to seeing others as God sees them. Lastly, on this topic from the book, I'm going to cover off on, real quick, uh, Babette's Feast. Babette's Feast is a story. It's well-known. It's p- pretty famous. And so, it's it's about a, a woman who has to flee France. She was a famous chef um, in the 1800s or thereabouts. She has to flee she goes to a small community in Denmark, I believe, and she is broke, has no, nothing, and she is begging for and given shelter by two daughters of a very small sect of Christians who are very pious. They don't eat anything tasty. They don't dress well. And yet they and they talk about on a daily basis about what they have to do to get better to serve God. Eventually, she winds up winning a lottery. And they had lotteries back then. And she got this huge sum of money. And no one knew that she was a chef. She, no one knew she was famous. They actually considered it an inconvenience that she was there to help. And she actually cooked in the kitchen and cleaned all for free just for room and board. She won a huge sum. It would have changed her life. She could have gone back to Paris and lived her, lived a normal life just off of the sum. But instead, she decides to take that entire sum and to hold a feast for the people who have, who have taken care of her and allowed her to live with them for 12 years. So they, she has this incredible feast, and the people, for the most part, don't really take advantage of it. They really don't enjoy it much. After, eventually... They do lighten up a little bit. But as a summary of all of this, here's the summary. Twelve years before, Babette had landed among the Graceless Ones. Followers of Luther, they heard sermons on grace nearly every Sunday, and the rest of the week tried to earn God's favor with their pieties and renunciations. Are we trying to earn our grace? You can't. The key about grace, and this is how, in the village that Babette came to, was called Norvorsburg, is grace came to Norvorsburg as it always comes. Free of charge, no strings attached on the house. We can't earn salvation. We can't earn grace. We don't have to do anything better. We have to accept it. It's already been there. Just like our forgiveness of sin. Our forgiveness of sin has occurred and it has for, we've been forgiven for our past, our present and our future sins. Through grace. We need to accept that, embrace it and love others with the same grace to ex- extend them to them the same grace that we are extended and that we are provided. As a quick update, I continue to need prayer for my family members um, who who are struggling. Um, he's just he's still struggling hard, and it's going to be a perpetual event. I have a feeling for quite a while. So please um, lift up my nephew who is uh, struggling with uh, thoughts of suicide and not being of value in our society. So with all this, I I, I just pray for. And and encourage you to see others as you see them, as God sees them. To extend grace and to continue to do the best that you can do. And understand that that's all God wants. He he can use us wherever we're at. If there's anybody else you think that could use this, could benefit, would, would value this, podcast and this daily reading please send them over to the website, the podcast whatever it is, wherever it is and plug them in. I thank you for all you do and for your participating with that I'm going to close real quick with a prayer. Lord God I thank you for all that you do I thank you for working on our hearts I thank you for the commitment of all of us to read your word to grow closer to you, to understand you more fully. I thank you for the many, many blessings you've bestowed on us. I lift up our friends and our families. I pray that you would watch over them and keep them safe. I pray that you would be the focus of our hearts and our minds, and that we would do your will and bring you honor and glory. Until we meet again, may you protect us and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a wonderful day.